Okay, so what we've done, we've kind of set the context. Now, as we as we uh, move forward, I just want to I want to read some quotes so you can actually see these thinkers say this stuff for themselves. Cool. But I also want to move through, you know, thanks to Todd McGowan's lecture again for giving this kind of blueprint to discuss these things. Um, One thing before you do dive into your quotes. Um, okay. I just want to, so we've been, we've, we've spent a lot of time here, like kind of laying out the difference between uh, pleasure and jouissance. And, and that's kind of where we're at so far. People just joining the stream, you can go to my personal site and then drag it backwards and then fast forward if you want to catch up on any of that. But, um, the, you know, the, the, the main topic is death drive and the death drive like is not just jouissance. It's related to it. We're about to get into this a lot deeper, but also I just wanted to kind of say like in the midst of a global pandemic and a national, uh, string of protests uh, rising up. Um, there's a lot of pressure building all around for everybody. Um, we, we live in a lot of intensities today. And um, death drive can really, really take over. Like what we're talking about is something that's very, very fucking real. And, 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 if, and if as we go further, it doesn't really like resonate, like it, then, then maybe it's never truly just com consumed you yet. <laughs> but uh, I, I what what's the what's the Lacan says it starts with a with a. No, I'm gonna, I, it's so funny you mentioned it because that's exactly the quote. I, it's the one that I forgot to get, and uh, <laughs> we'll read it right here. So okay. this is his famous quote about jouissance. He says, "It begins with a tickle and ends in a blaze of patrol. That's always what jouissance is. A blaze of patrol is like a huge explosion, right?" But it begins with a tickle. And so it's that quote from Prometheus, uh, big things have small beginnings. So this kind of like tapping into jouissance, right? Uh, it's usually not that big of a deal, the first instance, but it can just go from zero to a hundred like that. And he's talking about how jouissance can just consume us in certain situations. Um, and it's like a just a, a rapid snowball effect. It's almost just like this impulse to just like explode into a, a blaze of glory, right? Like, um, I feel like a lot of times heavy classic heavy metal conveys this really well. That kind of music, mm -hmm. um, and so yeah. But it's it's always this back and forth between the two. So I want to read these quotes. These are kind of some of the bare essentials to to see what we've said so far. So, again, uh, pleasure principle. In seminar seven, Lacan says, the pleasure principle is presented to us as possessing a mode of operation which is precisely to avoid excess, too much pleasure. Now, again, this is where you get into the terminological problem because it's like he just said pleasure principle seeking to avoid too much pleasure, but he means jouissance, ex excessive excitation is what he means by too much pleasure. So the pleasure principle is always trying to avoid the too much, the too much uh, sensation, too much stimulation, too much excitation, i.e. jouissance. And so uh, Zizek says in Ticklish Subject, one should never forget that for Lacan, the Oedipal paternal law is ultimately in the service of the pleasure principle. It is the agency of pacification slash normalization which, 
far from disturbing the balance of pleasure, stabilizes the impossible, bringing about the minimal, minimal condition for the tolerable coexistence of subjects. Right, so there we get something more, right? He's saying that when he says the edible paternal law, this is one of the ways that certain leftists don't like Zizek, but Lacanian thinkers are gonna say there is definitely a role for the paternal function. Now, let's be very clear, it doesn't mean any kind of like toxic masculinity. It doesn't mean, here's the thing, for Lacan, the, the the lawgiver, the quote father, can be a biological woman, right? Uh, can be a woman. So it's not so much getting into gender essentialism or anything like that. What the Oedipal paternal law really means is just a kind of forceful limitations being put on our excessive enjoyment. And that's part of what we we actually see a lot of people suffering from now is it's almost as if there's there's too much enjoyment in their lives there's too much stimulation and Zizek thinks that this is part of the problem because because we are this hedonistic society where enjoyment is valued above all other things what you actually find is when you have too much enjoyment it destabilizes your life it is not as enjoyable as you think it's more of like an addiction that you can't quit but you want it out of your life and he thinks that the weakening of what he calls symbolic efficiency and all this really translates is a sense of duty a sense of i have to sacrifice enjoyment for social reasons social protocols we've all because of consumerism and uh you know the individualism that it pushes it's as if the greatest thing in life is us pursuing our enjoyment. And he's saying that in part, this is actually why we're suffering so much uh, and why there may be so, you could even extend it, why there's so many uh, mental illnesses is because, and of course it's not, not all of them are reducible to this, but he's saying it's as if there's just the ego and our jouissance and we form this kind of direct circuit between the the shit that our ego finds enjoyable and uh, and there's a lack of the symbolic there's a lack of social protocols that actually helps us to better enjoy better desire and it's almost like we're too, we're too smothered mm. in immediate enjoyment for our own good and that's what he's getting at there is that the the law is there to actually help us have more meaningful and uh, tolerable and uh, stable coexistences between ourselves and that kind of balance as we all know is very much lacking at this point in history mm. this might be a good time to bring up one of the questions we had in chat a little bit ago um, they were talking about pleasure principle and jouissance and and trying they're trying to they're trying to situate the id and super ego somehow in all of this. And I was like, my response in the chat was just like, it's kind of different, but I think it'll probably be beneficial just to differentiate like what those terms no, are. No, I mean, we, we, we'll touch on that real fast because yeah. I was planning on talking about super ego. Here's, the, here's one thing that's interesting about Lacan. He doesn't usually talk about the id. And out of all of Freud's concepts, 
it's 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 interesting that he leaves id out of it and i think here's what we can do we can say that death drive or jouissance they kind of fill the role of the way people use the term id but there are sharp conceptual differences and so for example if you see a lacanian talk about id chances are they're just talking about jouissance or death drive but in the strict sense of the word, it has to do with a kind of cauldron inside of ourselves of these like animalistic impulses, like the repressed animality of us, right? And strictly speaking, I don't think Lacan thinks that even really exists. Um, he certainly does something with superego, but he actually turns superego on its head and it ends up being the opposite of the way the Freudian superego is thought of. Again, we're going to touch on that shortly. But, yeah, I it, it's interesting. Most Lacanians tend not talk about id. And it's because they think that if id means like, okay, some kind of violent explosion of aggression or whatever, well then, yes, certainly Jouissance and Death Drive are capable of that. Mm. But it wouldn't be like, oh, it's just our repressed animality like our just brute animalistic biological impulses that's what it wouldn't be so i think that's why lacanians kind of dropped the usage of the word id okay okay so just to, just to clarify you know we're talking about how law now is associated with the pleasure principle and again part of learning how all of this works is really just forming connections between words and concepts that you don't immediately realize are connected and so like the good the rational um pleasure self-interest right when you start to form this circuit of terms you start to really be able to picture what pleasure is and the effects it's able to to have right well same thing goes on the other side with death drive and jouissance so here in seminar seven again Lacan says Freud's use of the good can be summed up in the notion that keeps us a long way from jouissance right so the good what is in our self-interest what is good for us as we typically think about it is to stay a long way from jouissance and so you're starting to see how all of these key concepts that we use to think about what it is to be human the good the rational pleasure uh, self-interest they're all starting to be linked together on one side of our libidinal economy. And so again, in seminar seven, Lacan will just say that jouissance is evil. and But it's evil in the sense of how traditional religion or traditional morality would conceptualize the evil, which is to be completely self-destructive, to explode, right? To... Uh, to do all that um, is considered immoral. And yet, and yet, and here's the key thing we'll see below, Death Drive also has a deep connection to morality and a deep connection to religion in certain sense. So it's not that it's actually uh, evil in and of itself, but when you think of the kind of effects Death Drive can have, it makes sense that it would typically, those kind of actions would be deemed evil. Right, because they destabilize society, they destabilize your relations to others, and 
destabilize your own well-being oftentimes. So there's a sense where it's like pleasure good, jouissance bad or evil, but it's, I mean, that's like the basic way of looking at it in a real kind of white and black perspective, but in reality, it's much more nuanced, and sometimes death drive is actually our best friend, hmm. and pleasure is our enemy, and we'll get into that again as we well, move let's, along. Let's, let's just use, the, you know, uh, like an example that comes to mind is like, let's just say that you're in a relationship that's not good, but like getting out of it out of all the habits and attachments in that relationship would require like a pretty significant push and so you might like end up being in that relationship for like a for like a decade right like you're not really happy but at the same time it's more of a balanced sort of comfort like at least you know what you're dealing with as opposed to the scary outside world uh and and having to like you know rely on complete strangers at least you kind of have a read on you know the person that you're in this relationship with is not ideal um death death drive it it would i'm just thinking of movies i i i there's sort of this archetypical breakup scene in movies when the person just explodes and they're done you know and and their whole mode for the next you know part of the movie is death drive Right, like Absolutely. they're fucking throwing their bags. They don't even care if they leave half their shit in that house. They're fucking driving, you know, 120 miles an hour, doing fucking yeah. Someone was talking about ODing on LSD. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, here, so here's what's complicated though. Let's let's flesh this out because that's a good example, and we all can relate to that in one way or another, right? So here's here's what's interesting about it. Pleasure and jouissance can be, can be on either sides of this. So. Take the situation you're in that you're talking about, right? Let's let's I'm say not, that I'm not I'm not in that relationship. I'm not. That's not a no. No, no. no. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. in this this theoretical scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were saying right, you were putting yourself in this situation yeah, yeah. of like you're in this relationship, and it's like okay, I'm ready to move on. But the, relationships are obviously incredibly complicated, and let let's let's show how it can work in reverse, right? So. Okay. Let's say that you've been in a long-term relationship and you stay out of it because you have a basic, uh, it, it satisfies basic pleasures. Um, there isn't a bunch of fighting or drama or stress or anything like that. It's just a kind of comfortable habit that you're in at this point. Mm. There isn't really a whole lot of passion in it, but it's a safety, a stability that you have in your life. And so in this sense, the relationship is the structure of your pleasure, right? Mm. It's your balance, your homeostasis, but it lacks excitation, it lacks passion. And so at some point you could go, well, it's precisely for my death drive, for jouissance that I want out of this because just pleasure in and of itself isn't really that great. And you could sit there and go, it's completely rational. I have a, I have what is called a good life. Uh, we, we trust each other, there's uh, honesty in the relationship, and yet it just doesn't do it for you anymore. And so that's where it's like you have pleasure in the relationship, but you want something else. And so that's where it's like you start going down the path of death drive, and we all know it can start with it. Like, you know, he says, it starts with a tickle and ends with a blaze of patrol. Um, when you want out of a relationship like that, especially a long-term one, it can. You just start... It could just start by, oh, you know, 
you didn't call or you didn't you know or you just you didn't show up or what it can start with these little acts of aggression or little acts of like you know what I like I'm gonna do something and then it's actually gonna lead to a fight right and so you can see how it starts to go in the other direction but it can be reversed where you're in a relationship and you can be hooked on it and the relationship is completely toxic all you to do is just scream and fight all the time all it is is this overabundance of stimulation there is no calm or or, or lack of excitation it's pure jouissance right it's overstimulation mm, yeah, the, yeah, fight yeah. And the drama and all of that and you could want out of it precisely because there's too much drama uh, too much jouissance too much stimulation and it's like the pleasure principles kicking in and going God, don't you want some safety and stability and calm in your life? And so you could want to break up precisely for the sake of your pleasure in that scenario. So again, it, it depends on the parameters of the relationship, case by case. Like uh, Eminem and Rihanna's "Love the Way You Lie" music video, right? The the, right. the whole or, or Eminem and his relationship to Kim, right? <laughs> oh shit, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about uh, Kim. How could I, you know, I never forgot about Dre, but I forgot about Kim. <laughs> right. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, that kind of just crazy love, that crazy erotic passion that can just be, you know, you're hooked on it, but it's also toxic and it throws your life into turmoil, right? That can be excessive jouissance. Um, and again, oh. the jouissance, it, it, it doesn't mean that it's, in the actual act of sex it can be in the act of fighting that you're hooked that's yeah, where yeah, yeah. we all know that people repeat these unhealthy relationship patterns and so the jouissance often isn't where you think it is and so and you you, you you've been watching barry right did you did you watch the first two seasons of barry yeah i love that show yeah that's like uh Friend of mine got me into it. I recommended it to you a little bit back. Now we both love it. We're waiting for the next season. There's a, there's a character who wants some pleasure. Sarah Goldberg is, she's like having so much trouble dealing with the fact that like, she's basically like reinterpreted her past relationship to make herself into some kind of like a, like a, like a, like she was like doing th like she she makes it out to be like oh she's the survivor but like in reality like when she actually like gets to the rock bottom of it and has to deal with it spoiler alert everybody i mean it doesn't really matter i don't think it's kind of a side thing but like it, it is it's like it's like this this moment of like awakening like she was addicted to the toxicity of that relationship and exactly. uh and, it, and she shook yeah and actually the, the my one of my favorite things about that show is her character arc after that point because she's pretty fucking fake, like up until that point, and then she starts kind of rounding out a little bit more, becoming more of a person, you know. But the thing about, it, but uh, see, I thought you were going to talk about Barry in the situation, uh, which um, Bill Hader plays its character, and we know Bill Hader from certain comedies and from SNL. But my God, you see him in this role, and you have a whole new respect oh for his. Oh my God, it's so good. His He's acting so is wild. Well, and you know, like I was already about to talk about uh, uh, Breaking Bad because it's such a good example. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, I, that's in in my one blog post on Jouissance. I use that as one of my big examples because Walt is really this embodiment of death drive 
and jouissant, right? But hold on, but, uh, but here's the thing about Barry, right? You give the example of what's the character's name again? Sarah, Sarah Goodman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay, Goldberg. So Sarah's yeah. Like on jouissant, right? And you see that this is part of what's toxic about the relationship she was in and all this, but. Barry's the opposite. Like he wants, he wants some basic pleasure, right? He's had so much excitation in his life. He's oh. just trying to get some basic stability, safety, security, pleasure, equilibrium, homeostasis. And so you see him trying to get the very opposite. Right. Cause he's, oh. he's, he's like, uh, he's a veteran, you know, he's got PTSD. He's like, it's like, he is, and he's, and he's still like, and so he's basically an assassin or like a, a hitman, and that's what he does now, and and he hates it. He's in a trap. He does not like how intense his life is, and he's always having these these miserable flashbacks, and he gets involved with the theater community. Like it's all by accident, but then he finds like this is some normie shit. I like it. He has so much excessive excitation in his yeah. life. He's like, can I just have some simple everyday pleasure? just some calm, some stability. And so, yeah, you see that those two characters are opposite in this, in this regard. So beach Bussy asks is asceticism as a lifestyle, a form of chasing the death drive. So it's interesting there. I mean that, I mean, it's all like whole books can be written on this, right? Because one of the things you'll find is that aesthetics are actually getting enjoyment, getting jouissance, precisely from not enjoying. And so it's as if they're always making this libidinal sacrifice in being ascetics, and yet they enjoy the very loss itself. And so it's almost like, yeah, I it looks like you're making these sacrifices, but you really have your compensation because you enjoy the act of sacrifice itself. And it's so I'm glad somebody brought that up because we're going to talk about this as we move further down in the lecture. I, I had something to talk about, uh, you know, Todd McGowan especially highlights that death drive enjoys loss itself. That if, if there's an object to death drive, it's loss or sacrifice, losing, not getting, missing the object. And, but that's precisely the source of the jouissance. So it's a really weird dynamic, but yeah, but aestheticism is really an ex a form of actually being able to enjoy right it's like we only can enjoy when we're not really trying to enjoy if we make that's the whole problem that Zizek's always highlighting that in our society everywhere we go there the injunction is enjoy every restaurant every place of entertainment enjoy 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 and so at the unconscious level this duty to enjoy becomes just that a duty well, when, when we have this duty to constantly enjoy ourselves at all times, that itself extinguishes whatever enjoyment we have because now whatever enjoyment we have, we have a duty to enjoy more. And so our, it, it's this duty to enjoy that actually is driving all of us crazy. And I, it, again, in, in, in older times, right, there was uh, a duty to not enjoy, to sacrifice. Thou shalt not enjoy was kind of, you think about the Victorian period, right? Even though, of course, they had their own different forms of enjoyment. Um, the superego at that time seemed to prohibit in a much more robust, strong, affirmative way. And right. now we have this kind of permissive superego, but that, that's saying, oh, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. But really, it's almost, it, 
it's more uh it's more lethal than telling us not to enjoy because having the duty to enjoy feeling like we're obligated to always be enjoying ourselves and you know this is part of consumerism as yeah. i'm gonna talk about um uh, yeah let's not talk too much about your book no well we could but yeah. you know no way you know, it's, that's not relevant here it's just it's just you see in consumer society we all know it that everywhere we go the the hidden message is always whether it's implicit or explicit it's always enjoy and this kind of duty to enjoy ourselves really just drives us nuts and makes everything unenjoyable <laughs> it's it's this weird uh oh, weird question. trick that uh is getting played on us at all times attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established we are doing a countrywide tour of the united states this fall what's up guys it's Anna and are Dave. we coming to a city or a town near you do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism critiques of therapism PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time energy critique of any of those things. This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, and really we're gonna be all over the area there, hopefully, so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state phoenix arizona mid-october and socal especially san diego late october i say especially san diego because we already have our guide for the san diego region what's the difference between a host a guide and a volunteer you ask well thanks for asking actually the volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city whereas the host might have a guest bedroom guest house or a place that we can park our van so we can sleep in our van we need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that and so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer guiding on the other hand though people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge a good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri, and he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything and it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced and it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy whereas other people want to take you out and show you around and so if you're interested in being a volunteer host or guide we have a special form for that so please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you touch base with the local community and if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, 
we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Bolgrillard in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in, that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. And yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations that already we've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. Um, and so thank you and uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Fury Underground app. So the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that, yeah, people have read the stuff that you're reading, uh, that you're bringing into dialogue. And so, uh, for instance, the idea of the university by Carl Jaspers, dedicated for him. Slavoj Zizek's For They Don't Know What They Do, dedicated for him. And then as people take the course over the years, new people will be coming into that forum and so if you get in there early you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves and as new people add into the conversation it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through questions that you had with the first time that you read the text and so i'm really excited for this the reason i've built this website is because i think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces is that ability to return to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like Discord. And so stay tuned because there is an app on the way. Thank you to our donors. If you want to donate, go to theory-underground.com forward slash support. Thank you.